Hello, my name is Sebastian Couture. And I'm Brian Fabian Crane. And welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin, the show which talks about the technologies, projects, and startup gr- driving decentralization and the global cryptocurrency revolution. Today is June 8th, 2014. And thank you so much for joining us on episode 23. Yeah, so on today's show, we have Eddie Trevia on. Eddie is the co-founder and chief startup officer at Seedcoin, which is a, a seed stage virtual incubator for Bitcoin startups. He also is the founder of the Bitcoin Institute, which is a platform to facilitate research into different aspects of cryptocurrencies like trading, uh, market making, and entrepreneurship and Eddie uh, along with Seedcoin also organized the first Bitcoin conference in Asia last November in Singapore and he's joining us from Hong Kong today where he's been for you know a few years and I think in total he's been in China for 10 years so hi Eddie hi hello well, Brian and Sebastian thank you for having me here Thanks so much for joining us uh, today. Um, so we want to talk to Eddie today about uh, the different things that he's working on, specifically Seedcoin, uh, his uh, startup incubator. We'll also talk to him about uh, some other things that are going on uh, around him, for instance, uh, the Bitcoin Institute. But we'll definitely get into uh, uh, a lot of things you know, relating to investing and, and, and funding of startups. Also, we'll probably talk about some uh, uh, about crowdfunding and the different types of models uh, available today. Uh, but first, we want to mention uh, something quite interesting that happened this week and quite important, I think, for the uh, ecosystem, which is that Apple has apparently... Uh, backtracked on their uh, recent uh, position on Bitcoin, which was to disallow uh, Bitcoin apps, uh, particularly Bitcoin wallets in the uh, App Store. So this news comes following uh, the uh, WWDC conference. So Apple has a, a yearly developer conference uh, called the Worldwide Developer Conference. This year's conference was held on June 2nd, so earlier this week. And following that conference, uh, Apple, uh, after uh, announcing iOS 8 and uh, the new version of, uh, of Mac OS X, um, Apple updated their review guidelines, their app review guidelines, uh, with a new section which says apps may facilitate transmission of approved virtual currencies provided that they do so in compliance with all state and federal laws for the territories in which they function. So effectively, this opens the door potentially for Bitcoin wallets or apps that uh, uh facilitate transaction transmissions of virtual currencies so wallets for instance and so th- i think this is great news for the ecosystem which potentially uh, gives apple device owners access to bitcoin apps uh, such as wallets yeah so uh it's interesting because when that was kind of published, you know, people were writing about uh, WWDC and that update. I know there was a post, for example, on Coindesk where they were like, is this actually good news or not? And people were a bit confused about it. And I actually talked with uh, Wendell Davis, uh, who we had on recently and uh, you know, whose startup is actually part of Seacoin, on uh, Tuesday morning on Skype. And he was mentioning to me, oh, uh, you know, the Coindesk app is live. And... So I downloaded it straight away, I tested it, and the CoinJar wallet was working. It was in the App Store. And it was interesting because afterwards, I, you know, I took like, I checked on Reddit, like, is somebody writing about this? Is it like really happening? Are there other apps? And uh, nobody had written anything online about this. And so I made a Reddit post at the time. It's like, hey, it's, you know, it's working, like, it's live. Uh, so it was pretty, it was pretty interesting. And I think it was, it wasn't, live in all app stores because my Apple account is registered uh, in the UK. So it was live there. And I think it was live in some other countries. And I think now I've read it's it's been live in quite a few more. I think it's in like, uh, I read some people in Norway, Spain, uh, Germany, I think in different countries in the US. I don't think yet it's live. But so I think that was the, f- the first app to come in. And of course, the, the question is now, are the other ones going to follow? Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I agree. It was. It was interesting how this kind of went under the radar uh, that morning. Uh, we were on Skype together, and you said, "Oh, there's a there's the Coinjar app." So you sent me like whatever a couple couple middle bits, and that day I was actually uh, in Paris at the Paymium offices, and they didn't know about it. So I told them, "I said, like, you guys can download a wallet on your iPhones now." And and that night uh, I was at uh, Maison du Bitcoin, and nobody knew about it. Like I went up on stage and said, "Like, you know, you guys know you can download a wallet on your iPhones now." And everybody's like, "Really? Wow, this is amazing!" So, um, Eddie, do you do you use an iPhone or an Android phone? I use uh, Android. Um, 
but I'm I'm very happy for Coinjar. I mean, I've I, we have been in contact with Asher for more than uh, for about a year now. Uh, he's the founder of Coinjar, with his uh, co-founder is uh, uh, from China, Ryan Joe, and they're both in Australia. And I believe now Coinjar is the main exchange in Australia, so I think it's a great progress. And uh, yeah, we, we had them on uh, actually uh, two weeks ago or something on, on the podcast here. Very good, very good. So yes, we 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 um, uh, we've been in touch for a while, and I know Coinjar is a great application, and I'm sure. There will be uh, many more coming uh, on the on the Apple uh, App Store. Um, I'm I'm a fan of Apple from uh, you know from a long time. For a long time, I've been a fan of Apple. I was not uh, happy when they started uh, removing Bitcoin uh, applications and wallets from their App Store. Um, I guess many people weren't as well. I, I, it's it's a good sign, yes, of course. I mean, it's a huge market. Uh, it has a huge market share in the world. Uh, also, of course, uh, very very present in China and Hong Kong. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's good news, definitely. Also, just briefly, if somebody wants to uh, download the Coinjar app, and you know, you can just go app store and search for it. If that doesn't work, uh, I would recommend uh, you change the address of your Apple ID to a different country. You know, you can just make up an address. Or, um, and I think if you change it to the UK, it should work. I don't know if that's possible. I think you need to have... Uh, changing your your Apple ID's country is actually something that's a bit complicated. You have to contact Apple to do that and you have to have proof of a, a billing address in another country. Maybe you can make a new Apple account in a different country. Yeah. yeah. I, I, don't know if, I don't know if it's that easy to change your Apple ID's country. I know that whenever I moved, uh, it, it was quite a hassle. I had to contact them to change the country in which I was in. Oh. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. But I guess, you know, try it. Uh, or look into how difficult that is. Otherwise, uh, I think the Contra people did announce that it's going to be live in like a whole bunch of countries, especially European countries, I think, and some other ones. Um, not in the US yet, I think. I'm not, oh, that's right. I'm yeah. not sure if it's live in the US. Uh, it is available in Canada, apparently. So right after they released it... Um, I forget his name. Uh, Astro's co-founder uh, uh, Ryan or Joe Tong. Yeah, Ryan so Joe. he he published a, a post on Reddit saying that it would be available in Australia, Austria, Belgium, Canada, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Hong Kong, Italy, Ireland, Luxembourg, Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Poland, Singapore, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, and uh, in the UK. So yeah, not in the US yet. I don't know why why that is. Uh, but I, I think I've seen some people on Reddit mention that they've used it. So I, I don't know how they did that. Maybe they maybe it's now or maybe they changed the country. I'm not I'm not 100 sure what the stage is. But yeah, hopefully we will see. Uh, you know, a, a lot of Bitcoin apps uh, on the iPhone. I also saw that uh, Fred Ursum, uh, you know, the co-founder of Coinbase, he gave an interview on uh, CNBC. And I think they've been talking with Apple and I think they were told by Apple that they will allow the Coinbase app on the App Store. Uh, but I think they have to disable uh, the fiat Bitcoin, uh, their exchange functionality, you know, because uh, you can connect a bank account or maybe a credit card with Coinbase and then buy Bitcoins that way. So uh, you won't be able to do that, but, you know, you'll have a full wallet. You can send, receive Bitcoin, etc. So uh, um, sounds great, you know. So if we just speculate, like I was thinking about this earlier, uh, in terms of what kind of apps Apple will allow. So, so far they've allowed a wallet, which essentially just allows for basic transactions of Bitcoin between uh, different parties on the blockchain. Um, however, I'm not sure that we're going to start seeing you know some of the more... Um, uh, and, and, well, I don't think that we're going to see some of the things that perhaps might uh, impede Apple's uh, existing business model, like, for instance, Bitcoin uh, payments, uh, built-in Bitcoin payments and apps, or like you said, you know, being able to buy and sell Bitcoin or, or actually trade Bitcoin. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant on that. And I think that uh, for the time being, we're going to see, you know, maybe a few wallet apps come in, but any anybody that wants to do anything uh, more complex than that, or that might um, uh, jeopardize Apple's revenue, would definitely be 
not not allowed. Yeah, it's very unclear where this is going to go. I, I, maybe we should point out that this was part of a, a general, what seems like a general change in the way iOS is going to work in that it's going to become a bit more open. I think there's more interoperability between apps. Uh, so it, it is becoming maybe a tiny bit more like Android. So perhaps one can also look at this change in the Bitcoin policy as, you know, part of, of a, a s- you know, at least a partial opening of uh, iOS. Yeah, perhaps I, I'm. I'm skeptical as to if Apple really wants to open up their operating system as much as Android is, but no, not as much. Not as much. Of course, it's still going to be contained. But I think that it would be easier, for example, uh, for you know apps to uh, communicate with other apps. Uh, you know, and things like there, there are quite a few. It's, it sounds like like very substantial changes from what I've understood to uh, the way iOS works. Uh, I, yeah, of course, I don't know if if the Bitcoin um, wallet decision or that that decision is related to that. I also uh, saw somewhere on Reddit that I think someone submitted a merchant app that uh, all it did, you know, you could display QR codes uh, and. It would alert the merchant if the payment was received, so it didn't have any sending functionality, uh, no private keys on that, I think, and that was uh, declined. And I think some people were saying on Reddit that he made it for everywhere. You know, he didn't limit to in what country it would be available, so perhaps one should have done that. So apparently, that maybe gets like an automatic denial or something. I'm not sure, but it's still it's still unclear, I guess, what exactly what apps we're going to see and what time frame. But at least it's a very positive first sign. Yeah, it is very positive news, and uh, we'll definitely uh, keep uh, keep our eye on this as uh, new apps get added to the App Store. Uh, but uh, generally, I think it's really good news. I can't wait for you know uh, apps like uh, for companies like BitPay, for instance, uh, or payment processors to start um, having their apps accepted in the App Store. I think that'll also open up uh, the floodgates for merchants to start accepting Bitcoin, which is kind of difficult right now if uh, if if you're using. Uh, Absolutely. An Apple device. Where we are doing the meetup here is a co-working space called Beta House. And I think they might be open actually to accepting Bitcoin. But the problem is they have everything on iPads. So, you know, there's no good way to doing that. So now when we have to meet up in generally, you know, I would bring like an Android tablet, give it to them so they can pay with Bitcoin. And then I buy it off of them in the end, which is, you know, a bit cumbersome. But yeah, hopefully if we can have good merchants up in the iPad, that those kind of things could change. So one of our startup is a payment processor in the UK, and they and they have shown me their app on the iPhone. It's just it doesn't go through the App Store. That's all. So they they have a, a way for the sales clerks in in shops to accept Bitcoin on their iPhone using an application that they uh, they have designed. So I think there are ways. I also know Coin of, Coin of Sale in Singapore. They have a way which is device agnostic. You can have it on your iPad, on your iPhone. So I think there are a few companies and startups out there that uh, have enabled payments with Bitcoin uh, without necessarily the need for having the application really authorized by Apple, actually. I think it's important for a company. I think it's important to keep developing HTML5 apps uh, because, you know, we never know when... Apple could change course and and decide that no, we want we don't want to do this, or that your app just simply doesn't get approved because for whatever reason, you know, uh, Apple's uh, app approval guidelines are very much subject to uh, well to subjective uh, criteria when when it comes to approval. So I think it's important also that uh, uh, companies and startups keep uh, developing also HTML5 apps to ensure uh, um, that you know they can keep keep operating if ever Apple decides that uh, they want to change their mind on things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's move on to Seacoin. Perhaps, uh, Eddie, can you uh, tell us a bit, uh, how did you get started with Seacoin? So it's mainly uh, uh, an an introduction from uh, Hakim Amoni, who is my partner now in Seacoin, and uh, he's someone I've been working with in China when he was based out of Chengdu, working on mobile applications. And um, I was working in the investment environment, uh, and uh, I was uh, helping him to raise funds and also to to negotiate a few deals with some uh, Chinese partners. So we we met in China uh, now maybe six six years ago, something like that, and uh, he introduced me to Bitcoin. I think he first mentioned it in end of 2012. 
uh, I didn't really get it at first, and then uh, mentioned it again, and uh, and then I I saw the news in uh, related to uh, Cyprus which I think was an eye-opener for many people involved in Bitcoin. Um, and uh, my background being in, in investment, uh, I've been working in investment in China for, for now 10 years. Um, I realized for me that it was the most exciting opportunity was a potential wave of entrepreneurs looking at this and deciding to develop uh, applications, or services, and products in that field. So really the, the meeting between... Um, I and one of the first projects we had was to actually uh, create a conference in Singapore with our uh, other partner Alexis uh, Nicosia in Singapore and actually our first project uh, that we started really working into was a conference and then through the summer uh, 2013 end of June um, we we really focused then on the on the uh, incubator aspect the idea to do it virtual was uh, because we felt that there was no uh, central location for Bitcoin startups at the moment. Um, I guess there still isn't. And uh, there is a, a, we feel that there is a high level of compatibility between virtual incubation and Bitcoin startups, since there are, a lot of them are decentralized as a, as a company structure as well. A lot of them have developers are all around the world. So we felt that uh, it was a good uh, good combination and um, also enables us to, to invest and to help companies develop around the world. We're not limited to a single country or a single region. So we have uh, startups uh, uh, in, in, in a multitude of countries at the moment, uh, in uh, uh, Mexico, in Singapore, in the UK, in Hong Kong. So it's a, it's a very diverse, diverse environment for us. So I wanted to ask you, you know, the virtual incubator model is interesting to me. Uh, is this something that's typical for non-Bitcoin uh, startup incubators to have this sort of virtual incubation? It has been tried before, uh, I guess, in the in the high tech area as well. Um, they, they are, you know, like like many like many models, there are you know there are pros and cons. Um, Obviously, when you're not physically present, uh, there are, let's say, there could be less interaction between the companies, which is, which is a, uh, usually a positive element of the, of the incubators. Um, the, 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 I would say the difference between what happened before in some virtual incubators with uh, high-tech startups and what could happen now with Bitcoin is that obviously um, there is a different relationship. I mean, today... Uh, the networking tools, the the networking group work, uh, the the way to work is bas- has basically changed and has been transformed into really this kind of uh, um, uh, delocalized, decentralized system. So I think I think it can it can it can work today better than than it did in the past. Um, also, usually Bitcoin startups seem to be a little bit less capital intensive at first, um, and at the same time it you know, not having to worry about uh, real estate or rent uh, can help them in the in the in the short term. So we feel we feel that uh, in this specific instance, uh, virtual incubation can actually can can work. That doesn't mean that we wouldn't be looking in the future for for partners which have a physical presence. But for the moment, given our size and the way we work, so for example, we have mentors. Uh, most incubators have mentors. Now, the difference with us is that since we are not physically present uh, next to our startups, next to our entrepreneurs, having mentors uh, who are physically closer to them, that, that, that's quite helpful. So for example, we have three mentors in the UK. We have two in the US. Uh, we, have, uh, uh, we have one in Africa who's actually helping a project in Kenya with, uh, with a company we want, to, we want to help develop as well on the Eastern Africa remittance market. So... So basically, the mentors are a bit more essential, maybe in our case, than in the case of the uh, traditional incubators. So I'm I'm curious how you because you mentioned the sort of a, a workflows or how you know how today you can more work together in a in a distributed way. Uh, I'm curious how how do you guys do that? Do you have like a I don't know a Skype channel where all the startups uh, that are part of the program are on, or do you have like regular meetings? So can you tell us a bit about how that works? Yes, so we so we do have channel. Um, I'm also talking to the entrepreneurs. I would say almost daily. Uh, for example, uh, Gabriel who's in Mexico and is building there. Uh, 
MEXPT, which should be the very soon the, the, the number one um, exchange, Bitcoin exchange in Mexico. We, we talk very regularly. I even did an interview with a Mexican TV channel a couple of days ago. Well, it was the middle of the night for me. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm used to now uh, work kind of around the clock or at least trying to accommodate all the, all the time zones we're working with. So, yes, it's a lot of Skype. Um, uh, we, we also have, um, actually, with all the conferences that have been taking place, um, I've actually met the entrepreneurs more than I thought. You know, for example, last time we were in Amsterdam at the, at the Bitcoin 2014 um, conference. So uh, Nikos from CoinSimple, uh, Gabrielle was there a few days before I met Joe from uh, BTC.sx. So basically, the, all the conferences, there is one coming up in Hong Kong at the end of June, on June 24 and 25th. Uh, in Hong Kong, inside Bitcoins, we're sponsoring it, and uh, we are, and we are expecting uh, uh, several entrepreneurs as well to come along and uh, exhibit there. So yes, actually, we have all the networking tools, we have all the Skype, uh, uh, you know, uh, groups, etc. But at the same time, we end up meeting a little bit more than than, than expected. Well, perhaps we can talk a bit about how uh, you guys raise the fund. Because if I remember correctly, you did that through uh, Havelock. Is that, is that correct? Yes, yes, correct. Yes. So the, the way it happened is uh, we, we talked to Havelock. So quite soon, actually, last, last year in the summer, soon after creating uh, Sitcoin, after setting up Sitcoin, we talked to Havelock because for me, it was a very innovative, very new way of uh, raising funds. Before that, I was looking at crowdfunding. Um, so Havelock, in a way, is a little bit of a combination of, of both crowdfunding and, and listing listing uh, stocks, I guess. The, so we talked to them and, and, we, and we tried it with DealCoin. DealCoin is uh, Hakim's own company and is also incubated by Sitcoin. So we did that and it worked very well. It was in September 2013. Uh, DealCoin raised uh, 500 Bitcoin in about six minutes. So that was great. We felt that it was a, we may have even underestimated the demand for that company. So we, we decided that we would like to raise uh, a fund. So I, you know, I have to explain this because some people uh, ask me this by this question by email. Sometimes uh, Sitcoin itself is not listed on Havelock. Uh, what is listed on Havelock is actually a fund, which is a channel directly to the shares of the, uh, it's a channel to a fund, which is holding the shares of the, the Sitcoin startups, uh, six of them uh, actually. Um, and so we decided to try that. Um, unfortunately at the time there were some issues with the whole, uh, Bitcoin denominated exchanges, a couple of them shut down. So we had to wait a little bit longer than expected. So we started basically doing the fundraise in December, uh, December 12, 2013. And we still managed to raise 2000 Bitcoin by the, the middle of January. So it, it, it worked out quite well, yes. So can you walk us through like how... Uh how these uh, um, seed rounds uh, go and like, how does a startup get into your program? Uh, we have an application form uh, for startups to apply on uh, uh, online. It links to a website called f6s.com, uh, which is dealing with many startups and many uh, incubator or accelerator programs. We also have accepting applications on angel, angel.co, angellist. And we also receive a spontaneous email of people who want to work with us or uh, apply apply for funding. It's a um, um, it's it's a straightforward process. I mean, uh, we we basically contact back uh, the the entrepreneurs, the startups that we feel are, are interesting for us. Um, we have received a lot of applications. Uh, we received we receive currently applications daily. So when we chose the originally the seven startups for Sitcoin, we we had about a I think about a hundred applications uh, or nearly hundred applications at the time. And uh, wow, that's a lot. Yes, yes, yes. It's a lot. It's um, it's a good sign as well for the whole ecosystem. I mean, it's very active, and and we. And we're getting more and more applications as the number of uh, projects and number of uh, initiatives in the sector is, is growing. And so how do you uh, filter through all those applications and what's the criteria that you uh, go by to essentially uh, accept 
mm-hmm. startups in your program? Um, well, we, we have, um, we usually, so the first screening is, uh, is about, you know, some, some companies kind of, uh, miss the point about Sitcoin and send us, uh, sometimes business plans that are not really fully cryptocurrency centric. They are maybe doing a, another kind of business and they are accepting Bitcoin, for example, which is kind of, uh, not, not what we're looking for. We're really looking for actors, uh, which are very active in, building the, the ecosystem and providing essential uh, services. So uh, once we do that kind of uh, first screening, uh, then we look at the, the type of services that they're offering. Of course, we look at the team itself. Uh, where are the entrepreneurs from? When I mean from, I don't mean the country, obviously. I mean the background. What have they done? Have they built companies before? Have they worked in... Uh, in, in, in sectors that are relevant to Bitcoin, which could be, which is not only IT, of course, can be finance, it can be um, uh, financial services in general that, that can be applied to cryptocurrencies. Uh, so we're really looking at, uh, at the profile and we spend a lot of time talking to them. You know, once we have a, a kind of a short list, we talk to all of them. For the Sitcoin startups that we initially funded, we actually met all of them. Uh, if if I haven't met them, then my partners or at least one mentor has has met them. So we we have this uh, this policy that even if it's a virtual incubator, we we try to meet the people we work with uh, before you know before accepting them in, into the program, and we talk to them a lot of uh, on Skype. So basically, it's a very personal relationship in a way. You know, it's it's not the not very large yet, so we have the time to actually spend it uh, talking to them, discussing about their plans. Sometimes we kind of um, guide them a little bit. So, for example, Gabriel uh, in Mexico was an entrepreneur which was already accepted the year before in a very competitive startup uh, program called Waira, uh, which had you know thousands of applications, and he was selected by them. Uh, but when he contacted us, although he had a very good knowledge of Bitcoin, he was still a little unclear about what he could do in Mexico. And that was in August last year. Uh, we we told him, look, uh, in Mexico there is no there is no main exchange yet, so I think it would be good to to develop it. So it took some time to find the right partners and build the right team. But still, I'm very positive about what, uh, for example, this this specific uh, uh, startup will would achieve very soon. Now you seem to be very interested in, uh, I mean, at least in the first uh, round of funding, the companies that you funded seem to be very much uh, sort of infrastructure startups, so exchanges, payment processors, uh, wallets like Hive, for instance. Is that a conscious decision, or is that something that, uh, uh, I mean, is is that something that's important for you to to build the infrastructure first, and then after to build a more consumer oriented services uh, on top of that? Yes, yes, but it's all. It was also a natural choice. Uh, I mean, uh, if you looked at the uh, the startup environment uh, last year uh, at the end of summer, uh, it was much easier to find uh, entrepreneurs building uh, exchanges, payment processors, um, or trading platforms than 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 other more let's say uh, further away services uh, that you that you could add on on the on the on the whole. Environment, because of course, at the same time, Bitcoin was less mature than it is today. There were less users, so basically, you needed the, the you know the ramps, the pipelines to go on and off uh, from Bitcoin into fiat and vice versa. You needed the payment processor. So I think uh, it was uh, a little bit conscious, but also very a very natural choice for us at the time. So is is this changing now? Do you see uh, fewer of this type of applications, but more? Um um, was perhaps uh, more uh, applications that build on yes. top of Bitcoin. Yes, definitely. Yes. So, for, so when uh, we we have been uh, discussing with uh, uh, a new group of startups, and actually, so so it depends on the region. So, for example, UK, we still talk to uh, entrepreneurs trying to build an exchange because the uh, there is a very limited choice. It's not so easy to buy. Uh, uh, Bitcoin from pounds, actually CryptoPay has, has launched this service. But uh, the the environment, let's say the number of exchanges is still limited. So, so, but yes, in general, we have now less people contacting us for this kind of services. Also naturally, because uh, the early entrants uh, have achieved, uh, you know, a big 
market share and some entrepreneurs may feel well you know the market is maybe a little bit crowded or is already taken by big players so let's go in and, and find the new niche uh, service that's going to be uh, successful in the in the cryptocurrency world so that's why yes now we're talking to people for example you know doing new new kinds of services so what do you think the most uh, i guess promising uh, interesting field uh, in the next two years what's that going to be Personally, so I like everything related to blockchain. Um, we are talking to a company in the UK, uh, uh, trying to help them uh, develop and, and raise funds, which is in the area of uh, exploring the, the blockchain, doing some kind of data mining on the blockchain, um, and at the same time connecting with a multitude of exchanges. You know, I think now the market is large enough for people to go into market making or arbitrage opportunities in a very successful way um i think that we're still interested in trading i think trading as a as a, as a bright future uh, as well um so this uh, these are the areas we've been looking at we've been looking at for example the uh, bitcoin atm but it seems that it's uh, it's a market that is getting fragmented quite quickly but it's also interesting so we're talking to an entrepreneur in Mexico as well, but uh, is is American and is uh, looking at, for example, the leasing of the leasing service around ATM. So there are services still out there that seem very, um, you know, very uh, very potentially very successful in the future. So let's talk a bit about, uh, I guess. Um, well, let me take a step back. So. If you look at Bitcoin, no, it's called a, you know decentralized uh, cryptocurrency. So the idea of decentralization, you know, is is very much uh, to the core, you know, a, a core principle of Bitcoin. You know, the idea that you have peer to peer transfers, etc. Uh, now, it seems to me, if you look at very successful companies, if you look at big startups, uh, they live from centralization. You know, like uh, Facebook is a centralized, a big centralized platform. Google, etc. These are all uh, in a sense, centralized uh, monopolies. So I'm I'm really curious where this is going to go in the future because it seems there is this uh, kind of inherent conflict that you have between wanting to build a big business and needing to have some sort of advantage monopoly uh, position and this tendency and also desire of a lot of Bitcoin people to uh, decentralize everything. So I'm, I'm curious, how, how do you think about that? Do you think that's an accurate description? Yes, yeah, I think you're right. I think the, the conflict is there. The conflict is there also because, well, there are different ways to look at it. Um, we could look at w in a transitional way. So, for example, we could say, well, you know, you're not going to erase uh, kind of centuries of... of uh, of business, you know, I mean, business has, has been for a very long time associated to ownership of something. It can be ownership of a tangible or an intangible asset, but it has always been associated to people sharing ownership or one person having control over something, some form of asset, uh, being intellectual asset or being a physical asset. So if we go into... So I'm I'm a fan of uh, obviously of the decentralization I'm, and I'm also a fan of the blockchain um, smart contracts and the and the whole the whole set of applications that uh, hopefully will come out of the uh, startups looking at blockchain and and building great things on top of that uh, and all the efficiencies that's going to bring in the society. But yes, in my opinion, there is this transition period where you cannot erase in one in a few years the heritage of the way people are used to do business uh, there is also of course the legal aspect of it i mean i know there are lawyers uh, talented lawyers looking at uh, the the legal implications of uh, working with smart contracts and in a in a kind of a trustless environment like the blockchain enables us to do uh, which is great as well uh, there are new solutions um, uh, related to either Mastercoin, for example, or um, Colored Coin, or, or Counterparty, uh, all this uh, block or Ethereum, which is uh, also very great. It seems like a great. Um, there's going to be this transition period whereby we have to coexist, you know, in between uh, centralized, decentralized. For me, the the first applications of decentralization uh, could be. Uh, frankly, in the in the public sector, 
Uh, I've been speaking with someone at the uh, uh, working for the, the UK Parliament and looking at uh, explaining, uh, hopefully, to the UK Parliament uh, what cryptocurrencies is all about. And uh, uh, one thing that I try to insist on is the fact that if people really, if the public sector really looks at the blockchain and all the cost efficiencies it could bring, I mean, it's much bigger than IT. It's much bigger than internet. So. I would hope that at least in the public sector, there are some, uh, uh, you know, real world applications of decentralization that could come in. In terms of private companies, uh, well, we have to find a balance in the structure. I mean, uh, we're helping startups to to, to get funded. Uh, and we know that when investors get shares, they want their own share of the profits and uh, they want their own shares of the intellectual property, their own shares of the assets. So it's not, uh, if, if it can be done uh, in a very efficient way, decentralized, that will work fine. Uh, but maybe we're not there just yet and there still need a bit of work in terms of legally. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point you bring up. So, but the the question is, right? If what you say is right, that those uh, like maybe centralized services are more uh, a symptom of a transition period, and we are going to a world and a crypto world where services are delivered in a decentralized way. I mean, that has very uh, serious implications, of course, for you as an investor, no? Because then, let's say you look at something like Coinbase and you say, well, you know, Coinbase may be an interesting company uh, at this stage, but this is something that's, you know, that's going to change, right? Uh and that doesn't have a future. So, uh, is do you do you think that is the case? So that basically uh, companies like Coinbase, uh, maybe even BitPay, are in a in a position that uh, you know they will be uh, fragmented. They will be they will lose that advantage. Um, okay, so you mean fragmented in the sense that uh, they won't be able to enjoy, for example, their their market share because it will be decentralized kind of free services coming along. Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yes. I mean, um, it, yeah, it's, it's an interesting issue because you, you're right. As an investor, you want to keep some of that value. And even if, uh, ideologically you are all for decentralized, uh, let's see, you know, what, you know, you have to understand that we, we, we're looking at it for the moment in a way, in a, almost like an experimental way. But I, I really would doubt that the investors in BitPay, which are actually quite famous investors, funds, etc., or the investors in Coinbase, which are also funds and uh, VCs, uh, would let would let these companies, you know, kind of dilute their, their whatever achievements they have uh, reached so far. You know, for example, Coinbase seems to me, and BitPay both seem to me to have a, a great brand name and a, a kind of a, a high high goodwill in terms of their brand value. Uh, so obviously, if somebody comes along and says, "Well, I'm going to do everything they do decentralized," and uh, they're not going to be really uh, a brand value because it's going to be uh, uh, it's going to be free or it's going to be almost free and extremely efficient. Um, that that would be an interesting case uh, to see how that works. I mean, I don't, I don't really have a clear answer. I think. It's a type of situation that has to occur before people can really draw conclusions yeah. and see and see how it works. But I would really doubt that the investors of these companies would kind of let go. <laughs> no, of course not, right? I mean, uh, Coinbase is Coinbase. Uh, they're not going to get, you know, they're not going to decentralize themselves. The question is, you know, if somebody does enter the space and tries to decentralize it, uh, what's going to happen? You know, which what, what wins out and... Uh, yeah, I don't know, but it's, we it, have, no, it's, yeah. No, sorry. No, I was going to say, we have some examples sometimes of exchanges. So for example, you have a decentralized exchange, which is uh, in theory, a very good thing, especially after what we saw with uh, Mt. Gox, et cetera. Uh, but at the same time, for the moment, uh, people are, let's say, voting with their Bitcoins in a way, and they are putting them in centralized exchanges. So there is always the, the, the fact that it, 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 it all goes into the trust area. Um, the trustless, uh, the trustless um, feature of the blockchain is, is a is a very interesting feature. But at the same time, as you know, as human beings, uh, especially uh, and as human beings, let's say of the of uh, of the last century, uh, uh, may even the newer generation, maybe a little bit less. But we have been used to trust 
uh, institutions or to trust people. So, of course, there was a big disenchantment with, with banks and people are trusting banks less and less. But nevertheless, we've moved to a quite centralized system uh, again in cryptocurrencies in a way with uh, exchanges. So, of course, if you trust, if you don't trust the exchange, then you wouldn't really like to go and, and put 100 or 10 Bitcoin in, in one exchange. But for the moment, people are still doing it. They're trusting wallets with the keys. They're trusting exchanges with their Bitcoin. They're still trusting, uh, in a way, centralized institutions. Yeah, I mean, uh, personally, I actually think uh, some some services are difficult to decentralize. Like, let's say we take something like Coinbase. Uh, it makes sense uh, to me why, uh, I mean, I, I don't see how that could be decentralized, for example, you know, because if you do you know, fiat to a Bitcoin exchange, you know, that, that's uh, not just something somebody can come in and decentralize. I mean, you, know, you can do it on a peer-to-peer level, but it's not going to have the same efficiency. Uh and it's not going to have the same ease of use. The same with BitPay, I think. You know, if they if they do the the exchange, the payment processing, uh, that's something where you have economies of scale. So the bigger you are, I think, the cheaper you should be able to do it. Although you can probably in the future do it really cheaply, uh, even as a small player. If you know, if the exchanges are cheap and liquid. Uh, but it, yeah, it's interesting. I I, I guess I, I don't know where this is going to go. Uh, you know, David Johnston famously said that everything that could be decentralized will uh, is, is the just Johnston law. Uh, I don't know if you heard about it, but uh, is it's. Um, I, I think I think in theory everything uh, or most of the services that we know of today can be decentralized, but of course you need people to to actually use them, and you need people to uh, to let's say to 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 come to it in a way. So I think it's you know. Again, I'm coming back a little bit to my transition uh, theory that, uh, you know, it will take some time, but uh, eventually a lot of decentralized uh, applications and organizations will come up. And if people start using them, uh, that that will work. But yes, we're still in the period where we still rely on uh, trusting organizations for the moment. Yeah. Now, as it relates to decentralized companies, um what what are your thoughts on that? Like, how how is that going to evolve? I mean, for the time being, even Bitcoin only businesses, there's an for, even for Bitcoin only businesses, there's a need to incorporate, for instance. Um, but uh, more and more Bitcoin companies are, are are choosing to deal only in Bitcoin, for instance, like mm-hmm. not having a bank account. Yes, um, yes, correct. How do you see that evolving? Like, what what's what are the requirements now? I mean, of course. Yeah, I said it's it's a good idea to incorporate, but moving forward, are we going to see companies that are completely centralized, have no attachment to any kind of country uh, or state, and simply live on the blockchain? It's a possibility, I guess. I mean, the the uh, let's say it's feasible. I mean, I guess you can issue shares on the blockchain uh, using, for example, Color Coin or other tokens. You can you can survive without a bank account. Um, like uh, famously, some some companies are doing, uh, and uh, you know, yeah, like blockchain, for instance, yes, or, yes. or others. I think there are others out there. Yeah, that are doing that. Is that something that you would Hive, recommend Hive now? Well. Or well, if you if you Hive as well, if yeah. you don't need it, I guess why not? Yeah, that's fine. I mean, if you don't need a bank account, if you pay everybody in crypto, we we believe, of course, in the full crypto ecosystem. I mean, we we try also to pay as many of our expenses and and our service providers lawyers and suppliers etc with bitcoin as 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 much as we can and we we don't you know we don't use that much uh, fiat but uh, um let's say the legal part is a little bit more complicated i would say because um for the moment there is no way to really be uh, outside of a territory entirely i mean you uh, at the same time you have to see that if you if you are completely on the blockchain, uh, why not? But then it means that you kind of also limit your your funding solutions. I mean, if uh, if a company is only on the blockchain, I don't see any major investor VC coming up and say, "Well, okay, let's go and and I am going to own fifty percent of your company." It's not that easy in the sense that for a future for a future. Uh, uh, funding, fundraise, etc. It, it could limit the options there as well. And legally, well, if we talk to our lawyer, then he's going to say that even if you're on the blockchain or even if you use cryptocurrencies, you're still in the legal system somewhere. Now, just uh, touching on the legality, uh, 
so you're based in Hong Kong. Uh, a lot of Bitcoin companies have been uh, registering in, in places like the British Virgin Islands. Uh, what are some of the advantages for Bitcoin businesses in, in those places? And what are some of the most advantageous places for Bitcoin businesses to uh, to register or incorporate and, and why? Well, the you know, for example, the, the BVI has always been used by, uh, let's say, Companies investing, for example, I mean, offshore are quite uh, offshore uh, jurisdictions are quite uh, interesting for investments for funds. So that's quite a natural choice in terms of the Bitcoin startups. Well, it all depends also on their market and all their uh, legal requirements. So, for example, if you're an exchange, and obviously you start opening, uh, if you're an exchange and you're doing fiat business in any kind, or if you're a payment processor and you need a bank account, a fiat bank account, then obviously. You have to open a company in the country where you want to open a bank account. So that's quite simple. Um, we have, um, uh, we, there could be other licensing requirements or other compliance or legal requirements. And then, therefore, you have to choose a jurisdiction in that sense. I think today people are choosing the jurisdiction where it is, uh, of course, cost efficient, tax efficient, where there are some resources as well. You know, tax is only one of the components. I think, you know, there are some resources there. So, for example, Hong Kong is a great place to do business in general. You know, of course, it's not a highly taxed uh, jurisdiction, but at the same time, it's a very convenient place to do business. You register a company very quickly. Um, it's, it's really not cumbersome at all, and you have a lot of uh, quality service providers around you. Um, it's a, it's a great, uh, you know, geographically, it's a great hub. Uh, you know, very good transportation system, etc. So it depends a little bit on what you're looking for. Uh, uh, the Bitcoin startups are usually divided a little bit in terms of uh, legal requirements from, let's say, uh, exchanges, which is usually the, the trickiest part. You know, keeping bank accounts for Bitcoin exchanges is difficult. So they have to be in a jurisdiction where banks are open to the idea and are supportive. So for the moment, Hong Kong is okay. Uh, exchanges in Hong Kong have been able to maintain their bank accounts. Um, uh, Singapore seems okay as well for the moment. Uh uh, exchanges we know there have bank accounts. Payment processors we know also have bank accounts in Hong Kong. Um, in other jurisdictions, it's, it's it's more 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 difficult more difficult more difficult. So yes, you really need to look at uh, what is your business, what kind of service you need to provide to your clients or to your stakeholders, and find the best jurisdiction in that sense. Yes. So um, you know we we're starting to see a lot of uh, companies. That are they are kind of built as protocols, you know, when that and that issue their own uh, token. Yes. So, uh, for example, I guess Swarm is an example. I guess uh, let's talk Bitcoin is uh, to an extent an example if they're LTB coin, and I think there are starting to be a lot of things that go in that direction. Would you, mm-hmm. uh, with C coin, also consider uh, purchasing? part of the money supply of a, a startup as a means of investing in it? Um, yeah, we, we haven't really uh, looked at it in that way, but uh, because we could also look at it the other way, meaning buying shares of a startups, which actually, after we do that, issues tokens. That, that's another way to look at it. But yes, uh, buying tokens, so we haven't there done... Is no- it could be mm-hmm. that there's no company at all, right? That the only thing they do is, ish- I mean, like, let's look at something like Ethereum, right? They, they, you could perhaps as an investor buy Ether, mm-hmm. but there's not really a company. I mean, perhaps there is a company, but it won't own be, yes. the protocol. I think there is. I mean, there there is an Ethereum company and there will or, and there will be one. I think for most of these companies, I mean, look at MadeSafe with uh, MasterCoin. Uh, there is a company, there is a there, there is a, a company doesn't you know it's not because you you're issuing tokens over the blockchain that you don't need a company to actually manage the, the the you know the process or the operations of that company but i understand what you mean so would we be ready to invest in the tokens so yes sure definitely we would be uh, we we're not doing it at the moment because uh, uh it it hasn't really come up and also, we, we, we haven't funds for, for that purpose. But yeah, we will be open to, to do it if it, uh, if it gives us, let's say, an economic interest in one of these startups. Yeah, sure. So, so you, to do this, you need to raise funds in a different way, I presume. Or are, are you prohibited from doing that? No, we would need to use it in a different way. It's just that we have actually, we, we are 
kind of using the funds the way we have introduced it to 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 the investors on on Havelock when we did it. So um, it depends on how we introduce it the next time. You know, next time we raise funds, it, it could be uh, it could be again on Havelock or it could be another way. But then we would have to explain that, uh, for example buying tokens or buying specific coins issued by a company is one way we will invest yeah i think it would be better to be to be warning the investors first <laughs> yeah absolutely so uh, perhaps we can what's what's your view of uh, swarm uh yes i'm not extremely familiar with it i know it has been developed by uh, is it joel right joel deans is that correct yeah joel joel deans yeah that's right yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't seen it. Uh, I haven't seen the the application. Um, is it related to Colorcoin? Is that my understanding? Or? Uh, so basically, the way it works, it's like a crypto, uh, what he calls a crypto equity crowdfunding platform. So it, they're gonna sell uh, coins, which is called Swarm coins, and then. And those coins kind of give you ownership of that, let's say, platform. And afterwards, they build tools for a startup to basically issue their own tokens through that Swarm platform and uh, as a way to raise money, uh, essentially issuing an equity-like thing, even if it's legally different. Um, and if you own Swarm coins, then you're basically entitled to uh, you know a small percentage of every issue that happens to the platform. So I, yeah, I guess the I way I I would compare it with is is like let's say Kickstarter had financed their original development by issuing Kickstarter coin, and afterwards owning Kickstarter coin would uh, give you an entitlement to you know to share of perhaps all the revenues Kickstarter generates later you know through charging five percent to you know every project that goes through the platform. Well, I, I've heard uh, good comments about it. I I know uh, I've. I've, uh, I've, I know people who have seen it, and they and they said it was looked very good. But I haven't seen it myself. Um, one platform that's a little bit similar that I know of because I attended the startup competition in Amsterdam, and I also know Flavien from uh, other projects before is a Coin Prism. Coin Prism is a, is a color coin wallet that enables uh, enables you also to issue uh, shares uh, via the color coin system, the color coin. Uh, uh, yes. That's interesting. I hadn't looked at that before, I, I, but I'll check it out. I was just curious about the Swarm thing because we will have him on uh, next week, I think. So I was like curious if you'd looked into it and had some uh, views about this. Oh, it looks promising. That's all I can say. But I, I don't know it well enough to really tell you more. Yes. Now, could you perhaps talk about the, the Bitcoin Institute, which is uh, an organization that you, you founded? Yes, sure. I, I founded this organization also at the same time as Sitcoin. I must say I, I've been a bit more active on Sitcoin than, than on Bitcoin Institute. But at the same time, the, the pace of uh, work on Bitcoin Institute is a different pace because I'm really looking at uh, research. And I was trying to, to gather experts in different areas. For example, one expert, expert in uh, micro microstructure and uh, markets, uh, financial markets, uh, experts in... Uh, market making and trading and we're trying to 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 do some research or to sponsor some papers in that field i'm going to be uh, uh, more active on it i'm uh, i'm talking to uh, to experts at the moment as well people from academics and uh, trying to um, trigger some interest for them to to look at cryptocurrencies that way so the idea is is basically to do to to sponsor some research in these areas that can eventually help entrepreneurs or traders or market makers uh you know to 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 reach uh, to reach more efficiency or to go into some markets they hadn't seen before for example so this research that uh, the bitcoin institution is sponsoring is it a most academic research or or is it done at a corporate level? Uh, it's going to be a combination. Uh, it's going to be a combination. It's, uh, it can be a group of experts from different backgrounds, so both academic and corporate. Uh, and uh, But we're really, we're really looking at uh, you know, real-life applications. So it's a little bit more corporate in, the, in that sense, yeah. more corporate application in that sense, yes. So you, you mentioned market making. Can you talk about this? Uh, like, what, what does that mean, research into market making? Well, market making is uh, traditionally done in uh, equities, for example, uh, or in uh, 
in uh, uh, other other areas like uh, forex foreign exchange um it has come naturally to the bitcoin world i mean uh, exchanges have always uh, uh, are usually uh, uh, happy to have market makers on their platform because they bring uh, they bring uh, liquidity and um they bring liquidity to the to the to the platform, and at the same time, they can also help in stabilizing prices across different exchanges. Because market makers, what they do is they bring liquidity, and often they also take positions in arbitrage, meaning that they're going to uh, to see arbitrage opportunities, and that's still very much the case with uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies today over across various exchanges. So that's that's one aspect that we have been looking at. Yeah. Why, why would this be? I mean, it makes, uh, I understand this. It makes sense to me. Like, let's say somebody would start uh, a company doing this kind of thing. But uh, why is this an area of research? Um, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's not, you know, it's, it's an area of research because uh, because it's a new, it's a new territory, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, um, it's an area that actually goes a lot into IT. Uh, there is a lot of, uh, uh, very talented IT people that are developing these tools. And uh, there is also, it's also an area that looks into economics and, uh, for example, Forex, uh, Forex and foreign exchange, uh, trading as, as also a, a big component of that is the strategy, the geop- geopolitical strategy, etc. So, of course, in that in the Bitcoin cryptocurrency case, it's a it's a different kind of approach. So, we're t- just trying to to see what are the new challenges and the new ways to to develop market making. So, yes, I would say maybe not considered as a traditionally let's say academic type of research, but it's more of a of a of a uh, market uh, market research in, in a sense yes but they, but they, there are many uh, uh, many research uh, research uh, projects related to uh, to the markets in finance in traditional equities uh, in traditional forex markets so we're trying to kind of replicate that in the cryptocurrency world no, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I know. I, I could see that being uh, quite different. You know, when you start having to interact with Bitcoin exchanges, uh, the blockchain, maybe uh, it you'll have to rebuild a lot of that infrastructure that you'd use in maybe traditional uh, exchanges. Yes, you need new tools and you need new approaches to uh, new technical uh, analysis of the of the markets. Yes, and they are. I mean, there are startups that we are meaning looking at and are uh, actually um, developing these tools and, uh, you know, like data feed and uh, market news feeds and market insights and and blockchain exploration, etc. So I think there's going to be a uh, there's going to be a a great uh, uh, environment for that for that whole cryptocurrency trading uh, getting built and uh, being built at the moment. Okay, well, great. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. Uh, you know, it's great talking about your projects. Uh, if people want to check out uh, some of the things you work on, I guess a uh, seedcoin. That's uh, seedco.in, right? Yes, correct. Seedco.in. Uh, so, yes. so seedcoin with the dots between the O and the I, uh, and then yes. <laughs> there is a Bitcoin Institute. What's what's that? The URL? Uh, BitcoinInstitute.org.org. BitcoinInstitute.org. Um, yes. Yeah, great. So uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you know, I will hope that the new batch or Seacon, you know, is going to be very successful. And hopefully, we'll see some great companies coming out of that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for uh, for the interview, and uh, I wish you the best with your show. No, thanks so much. Thanks very much. And you're on Twitter at Startup Eddie. Oh uh, yeah, that's my. Yeah, that's my Twitter, Startup Eddie. Sitcoin is on Twitter at Sitcoin HK, Hong Kong. And so that's Sitcoin HK. Sitcoin HK. Yeah. And Bitcoin Institute is without the E at the end. So Bitcoin Institute, no E. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, great. So um, so we'll be, we'll be back uh, next week. But uh, if you listen to this, if you like our show, you can help us by writing me a review. You know, review helps us a lot, help people find the show. So that would be a tremendous help. You can also follow us on uh, Twitter. Uh, we are Epicenter BTC. You can tip us, epicenterbitcoin.com slash tips. 
I'd also like to you know, let you guys know that I'm going to be in New York uh, next week. Actually, when this show is coming out, I'm probably going to be on the plane. So if you want to meet up, if you're in New York, I'm going to try to meet up with a lot of Bitcoin people. So, you know, I, I would love to get in, you know, please get in touch and, you know, perhaps we can uh, do something. And uh, if you you can also sign up for a newsletter, which goes out every Friday, you know, it analyzes kind of the most important events that have been going on. Uh, so you can sign up for that at epicenterbitcoin.com slash newsletter. So thanks so much for listening and we look forward to being back uh, next week. There will also be an episode uh, coming out, another episode from the Bitcoin 2014 conference. I think we've got some great content and I think we'll have some uh, great content coming up there. So thanks for listening and look forward to being back. <laughs>